The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Okay, great. Yeah, me too. All right, let's go in three, two, one. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. This is Socially Distanced. Uh, I am Paxton Wright. With me is Justin Kiever. How's it going, Justin? Uh, It's going okay. It's been one of those, uh, I sent one email and now I'm too tired to do anything else kind of days. That goes both ways. Likewise. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Those... Those days, that's a, um, that's a testament to like the kind of day that's, uh, you know, having fun now versus having fun later. And it's much easier to choose having fun now, I always say. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, well, so this is a special episode we have coming up for you guys. Uh, where uh, two weeks ago, we did an hour-long feast on the game Moondown. Um, because there was so much to say about it. This week, we have another full feast episode for you. Um, And it's not going to be an hour. It's going to be a half hour. The reason for that not being that uh, we have less to say on the issue. The reason for that being I did a terrible job scheduling my day because I was having too much present time fun instead of preparing (laughs) for future time fun. Um, And I need to be out of my apartment in about half an hour. So... We're going to keep this one real brief, and we're going to hop right into it. Um, this week is kind of like Moondown, sort of a mutual feast. It's a more recent feast for yours truly, but Justin, you've uh, you've you've certainly um, uh, uh, noshed on it yourself in the past. Um, uh, and, indeed. And that is HBO's uh, I, I, TV series, uh, anthology series, um, True Detective, starring... In season one, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey, and you got Mershahal lead later in there, and, and Stephen Dorff and Colin Farrell and all the goodies. Um, that's what I call them. They're the goodie bunch. Um, Thank you, by the way. In a text conversation we had earlier, I referred to Colin Farrell as the Irish guy because I could not think of his name. <laughs> I noticed that, and I wasn't going to say anything, but uh, I assumed from the beginning you were talking about it had to be Mr. Farrell. Um, yeah, so I, I, it was revisiting the show was really interesting because I haven't watched it since it, uh, originally aired 
I'd only ever seen season one. I never saw two or three. I hadn't watched season one though, since it originally aired in 2014, I watched it in its initial, uh, in its initial run. Um, and for whatever reason, I, I was, I loved the series when I watched it for whatever reason, I just stopped right before the finale. I guess it was just one of those things where something came up and then I forgot to catch up. And then by the time I wanted to catch up, I'd kind of forgotten what happened and then I just shrugged and said, ah, maybe one day. Well, that day finally came. And <laughs> boy, howdy, I will just, I'll open by saying, um, I know I'm like, what, six, seven years late to the party now, which is also terrifying to think. Um, but uh, over half a decade late to the party. But I have to say, after watching it, I think, it, I think season one, at the very least, may be one of the goats for me. I really think it may be one of my all-time favorite shows. It's hard to say. I'd probably need to revisit it once more to be sure on that. But I think it it's on that pantheon for sure. I, I'm i inclined to agree. I rewatched uh, season one about a year ago now, maybe a little over a year ago. Um, and it had been, I've watched through season one a couple of times and I can't say that for, you know, many seasons of TV outside of like the things that I put on the outside of things like Futurama where I rewatch, I'm not really rewatching it. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think I'm in a weird spot with season one just because like, I still like it a lot. I still love it. I think my relationship to its content and its characters has changed over time. So like, for example, like, oh, well, actually, it. I'm sorry to mm. cut you off real quick. One thing we should mention before we get into this, we forgot, forgot to say disclaimer. Um, we're not going to hold back on spoilers for this episode. This is a, a mystery TV series and to get into the weeds with it um, is aided by um, spoiling said mystery. So if you haven't seen True Detectives seasons one through three and uh and care about any of those seasons being spoiled um listener beware i suppose yeah yeah we're, we're, we're spoiling things it's you know at, at this point the, these seasons of tv have been available for a very long time so uh meh. um yeah uh but anyway so season one like i watched in uh undergrad and then you know like came to again much or a few years later in life and yeah just like i used to very much be a like you know rust cole is always speaking the truth blah 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 <laughs> and uh now i'm much more like no he, he's he's nuts but also but occasionally speaking the truth and that actually in a way i think makes him a more interesting character and also like the fact that i'm pretty sure nick nick uh, pizza Lazzo, like just thinks rust cole is cool is exactly why season two is so terrible um yeah <laughs> but um but yeah like so we can maybe i don't know because like we're this is difficult because i feel like you know we're having a conversation about the entire show and it's you know a show with like three like fairly distinct arcs even though i i know season one and season three do at least take place within like the same kind of fictional reality because season three at one point like there is there is a explicit callback to uh, season one um, which makes sense because season three is like, you know, this attempted return to form that like very much is like, you know, very intentionally. And I actually think, you know, fairly intelligently like playing on your expectations from season one pretty much the whole way through until like the final episode. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and that was part of my when season three was initially marketed. Um, I didn't watch it because 
I mean, part of my thinking too was like, I know these stories are completely disconnected, but I still felt like I needed to watch season one first. It just felt weird to just jump into a, a you know, similar story without the sort of proper context of knowing what came before it. And especially knowing that one came before it almost certainly was going to be better because it's really hard to top that that first season especially knowing what followed in season two um but uh uh yeah i certainly expected more aping than i got in terms of scenery and in terms of general setup like yeah it's it's a bit of a carbon copy no i wouldn't carbon copy is a bit a bit um over the top but uh in terms of being set in sort of the deep rural south uh, obviously very different areas you have more um kind of mountainous mountains and valleys and sort of dead woods of arkansas in season three as opposed to the um the the swamps of rural louisiana yeah Um, but you have that and you have the sort of mystery with vague kind of wiccan elements and creepy things made out of sticks and twigs um and and like a and the, the sort of the pointing like you know because season one happened the sort of like they're always kind of pointing toward a uh let's say a, an epstein-esque kind of uh you know uh yeah like the, the in this kind of this thought that like there's some kind of like you know uh pedophilia crime involvement because that's the sort of thing in season one is this like you know you know it's about a cabal of a well, I guess rich people and also kind of like a down home sort of because it's like a family structure, like it's an evil family basically in season one that, you know, is doing engaging this like ritual abuse of children. And season three wants you to point at that. And there is child abuse, but it's a very different kind of child abuse that still ends up being about like, you know, the, the act, like, you know, the misdeeds of the rich, but like, you know, tinged with this kind of like personal tragedy it's a weird yeah yeah, it's it's like yeah like it's totally um so i guess just to get like hopefully give us like one kind of directing thought like one thing i kind of said when you were starting season three which is just like season three is like less of a fun mystery which season one is like a fun conspiracy mystery with like you know all this kind of like you know edgy darkness stuff happening which you know again like i think totally works i really love season one um and season three ends up being this kind of it ends up being more of a drama that's anchored by this mystery story and how like you know basically how these people's lives are shaped by this uh kidnapping yeah that's exactly that's exactly how i'd put it it's um it's less about the mystery itself and more about how because it's all these people are brought together by this mystery the story takes place in three segments uh 1980 1990 and 2015 following the same character played by mahershala ali who is fantastic in that season oh he's so good he's 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 great um yeah and and obviously playing himself at three very different stages in his life as this sort of investigation follows him and he is brought together with his wife um who he meets in season one during the investigation whose name the actress's name i am blanking on right now um but she is also fantastic in it um oh yes uh and her her name is um i hope i'm pronouncing her last name right i may be butchering it but carmen ijogo um yeah who is also really great um and of course his partner played by steven dorf uh his they examine the fact that his kids literally exist as a result of the murder of children because he meets his wife by way of this investigation. 
Um, And so, yeah, it is much more about the character drama and how this really dark, devious, uh, mysterious death and disappearance of two kids um, shapes people's lives and how that is like, and how it, it, you know, it's sort of a rise and fall in terms of like, uh, you know, everyone sort of comes together to try and solve this thing. The thing kind of turns out to be unsolvable in a lot of ways. And as a result, these sort of people have nothing connecting them anymore and sort of all drift apart. Meanwhile, the story is very confounding um, because again, you sort of are hopping between these three very different chapters of these characters' lives and you are doing it from the perspective of an unreliable narrator in the elderly Mahershala Ali looking back on his life in, I don't think they ever explicitly say what condition he has, but it seems to be some form of dementia where his yeah. where he often loses track of where he is. His memory is often unreliable. There are scenes where you find out later that they did not actually happen and is him misremembering things. So it's yeah. a, it's a di- more difficult story to deconstruct, which I quite like about it. Cause season one, even though it does a lot of time jumping between the mid nineties and the early tens, it's still fairly straightforward. It- it's, it's about unraveling the mystery with the characters in the past, in, in the present day, based on what they learned in the past. Season yeah. three is very much not that season three is f- much more about figuring out who these characters are and what happened to them by way of a man trying to remember different chapters of his past yeah yeah like it's um it it is really yeah like all like the parallelisms with season three or like yeah it feels again like it feels very deliberate because you know season two is so terrible and i guess we should talk about season two at some point yes um (laughs) if we have to (laughs) but um but yeah no like you're right like the the effect is very different even though there's some very there's a lot of very similar things kind of happening in season one and season three just in terms of like thematically as far as i remember because in season one like the time jumping you know like you're because it also is you know towing this line between like you know mystery conspiracy and drama but like the time jumping like the time the extension of time in season one you know feels very much like a you know, like there is this vast conspiracy that is being kind of, uh, you know, uh, suppressed by suppressed basically by forces that operate within like the bureaucracy of the police, or at least that can affect the bureaucracy of the police. So there's this like, like the extension of the time sort of like, you know, is there to make you feel the 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 full extent to which this kind of like this true the true nature of this kind of like, you know, like this evil lurking in rural Louisiana, you know, is being suppressed by like this kind of a you know, by this, uh, this class of people who can suppress this evil or whatever, you know, uh, in season three, kind of the same thing, because season three, like, there's literally like a scene, I believe, where, uh, where uh, the main character is basically like, you know, like makes a call or like, you know, like a limo shows up to his door and then he gets in the limo and then like a representative of like the family that is responsible for, you know, the, uh, the kidnapping kind of just goes, Hey, you know that investigating you're doing stop that uh right like isn't that so like there's a kind of so there's also this like um extent to which like the duration is kind of meant to kind of like is meant to demonstrate the extent to which like this thing is being this uh the nature of this crime is being suppressed but also really like you're right like it really does foreground it foregrounds like the personal transformation more than uh like that that feels more like the point than it does in season one um and that uh and yeah i don't know it's just like it 
yeah it really does just like make the show work in this totally in this totally different way and i mean yeah i don't know like uh, i guess uh, i don't know if we want to just like get into like plot details really quick to kind of like bring people up to speed to talk about the ending or if we want to yeah like... i i think that's appropriate um what one comment i i do want to give to um I don't know if this applies to season two because I, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I didn't finish season two. I, I simply couldn't do it. I just felt too beaten down by the show after a certain point. And I'll return at a later date just because I, I guess I'm a masochist. I don't know. But for now, I, I needed I needed a palate cleanser in season three. Um, but one thing, I, one thing I did like about season one and two that I know was actually a little controversial, and season three is a little less explicitly this, but season one ends on like a... For a show that is about, as you said, a cabal of pedophiles in rural dilapidated Louisiana and seeing sort of like extreme poverty up close um, through the eyes of two men, one of whom is an extreme nihilist, uh, mm-hmm. it has a weirdly happy ending. Um yeah, I don't. I don't think the happy ending really works that well. Like, See, or I, at least like not like the like the the denouement. I don't. I don't think works. Like, I think like I like basically everything up until like the twenty minutes where they're just kind of like you know faffing about the hospital. Oh, see, I really liked it. I really liked it because I think even though it's a little on the nose, I really liked the transformation of Rustin Cole's character from going from uh, you know edgy uh atheist nihilist college student basically i mean not in college but with the sort of you're not wrong yeah yeah yeah, basically um to uh i mean man who finds too much meaning in everything basically to a fault like having a complete 180 in his in his like ideologies to the point where everything is divine everything has meaning everything is beyond our comprehension because time and space only exist really for our understanding and actually go so beyond that um on a level that we can't comprehend and everything like everything is destined everything blah blah blah. um and the fact that he actually kind of lands still somewhat in that plane but by way of sort of making a sacrifice by way of nearly dying himself um and sort of reconnecting with his past and what turned him into such a contemptful angry uh not even angry just just a real downer um what brought him there uh and and having this sort of inner peace and optimism again it felt a little tonally striking given everything we've seen up until that point but it felt it felt refreshing and not unearned i thought i see and i think this is maybe i don't know like i i think at the time people thought it was unearned just because like season seven or i'm sorry episode seven kind of like speeds you through a lot of like the um it wraps up a lot of plot and kind of like does a lot of like has to do a lot of like transform like transformation work on the characters that it maybe that feels a little compressed compared to like how drawn out everything is else is in the rest of the show. Um, I mean, for me, I think like I it doesn't land for me just because I like Rust's anger and like the thing that I think is interesting about and so I, like I mentioned at the top of the show the way that my like relationship to season one has changed, which is basically kind of about like my opinion of what Rust is saying constantly. And the thing is like I think a lot of like the more 
like the like the really nihilistic like Thomas Ligotti conspiracy against the human race citing stuff is just just kind of nonsense um and like i mean it is nonsense so like i I find myself identifying more with like woody harrelson's character now like now i'm a little like a little older but also weirdly like but i'm angrier than i was in college and like kind of a in a different way though and i think this is this is what i'm trying to get to where like the thing about rust is that like his anger and the nihilism is justified and like the seeing meaning and everything i think is a like it's a particular orientation toward the world that does actually you know bear fruit ultimately and i think that the thing about him is that yeah like he is yeah he he is so deep in on the stuff that he's like completely like on this kind of like this idea of like everything having this kind of like you know almost divine meaning that you know he's yeah like like he has exited the world of rationality but occasionally like you get these like moment like moments of like what feels like existential truth through that and that and it's not the and it's not the kind of thing where like oh man it's like the the like the i'm not trying to say like it's like the effectiveness of season one is that the crazy guy starts making sense and maybe he's you know the the least crazy of all of us but it's this idea that like yeah i don't know like like there is still a, a sort of um it's like he's always like just right and like he's never completely right and often very wrong but like always just right enough in a way that like he um that yeah like his worldview starts like feels like justified and maybe something that we should entertain even though we shouldn't nonetheless i think the thing is like people latched onto that way too much and like that and so did you know the the lead writer uh nick uh who yeah, I think takes that character way too seriously and like the results in and what you get is like season two. Results in every character in season two being some embodiment of Rust Cole. Yeah. yeah. Like like every character doing like their best Rust Cole impersonation. And like yeah. Um and, like, and there never being a moment where people go, no, 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 like this is nonsense. Everything you're saying is just like complete drivel. And I think there was there was an intention for what I saw of season two. There was there was something there in the idea that it is about Los Angeles, which is a very inauthentic city, and you have especially Vince Vaughn's character, who is a sort of a sort of street tough who's worked his way up to sort of the the high life um, and like cosmopolitan world of Los Angeles, despite still being sort of a, a cd crime lord he's able to sort of mingle his way in and so there is a level of pretension above every uh within every character and every character sort of trying to project some great truth that they understand but it's presented in a really ham-fisted way and in a way that again i think there's an argument there but i not everyone in los angeles is a is a um pretentious wannabe writer uh, so seeing yeah. Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams, who are detectives, Colin Farrell, who's a little more, uh, a little more, I, 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 I don't know if blue collar is the right expression, but he's a, he's a little more gruff and rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing him monologue like Russ Cole is like, what, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I, it, it, it's just so <sighs> ill-fitting. So there's a so there's a bit at the end. I think this is maybe the funny one of the funniest things about uh, season two. Um, and just like on, while we're on the topic of the terrible writing is um, the the end for Vince Vaughn. I don't remember who kills him, but he like he has some subplot or like some like, 
I don't know, some kind of like rival gang types are out for him or something like that. And anyway, at some point he's talking to like his love interest, girlfriend, whatever. And he basically says like, yeah, you know, you go to wherever and then I'll meet you there and I'll be wearing, you know, I'll be wearing a tux with a big red rose. And he, yeah, he gets stabbed in the chest and then he's got like, you know, a big like red blood spot and like, hey, it's, it's like a rose. It's like, it it is like, that is maybe the hackiest. It's one of the hackiest things I've seen on like a, let's call it like a self-consciously like prestige tv show it's so dumb i also, um oh go ahead yeah, oh god uh, sorry um and then the, the other thing about season two and like this is kind of where i this is maybe a way to talk about season three a little bit before we have to go um season two ends with i think a really it ends with like this sort of like really like gross kind of like gender essentialist thing where like Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams get together and sort of like the grand like the new happy future thing and there's some kind of get together in a romantic sense they they get together in a romantic sense and basically like from what I saw there is no chemistry there (laughs) yeah no there's not there there never will be um (laughs) but like the you know, like uh, like the, the tagline for the, uh, the the tagline for season two, which I, I think is like kind of a was an okay tagline, was we get the world we deserve. And anyway, the thing, the grand wonderful thing that has Rachel McAdams say the line "We deserve a better world" is like she is going to give birth to uh, uh, Colin Farrell's uh, child. Like it's this very like you know like she gets to like take on the the role of the mother giving birth <sighs> to the new. It's very like it's very like. Um, it's this really it's a attempt to like you know give his female like for a by pits allowed to like give the female character some meaning that just ends up being like really like essentialist and misogynist like it's it's real bad yet oh go, sorry, sorry, go, sorry, go, sorry. go ahead i was gonna say my tapping out point was also something that was just it was too rote for me to handle and maybe it was slightly less rote for when it came out i think it was 2015 2016 was when mm-hmm. it originally aired uh, but it's aged so poorly is there's an episode that ends with a big shocking twist where I mean now I figured there was going to be some way he was going to live because he's top build but where Colin yeah. Farrell gets snuck up on uh, when he's investigating this house and gets it takes a takes a shotgun slug to the stomach um, yeah. and the the person who walks who walks over to Colin Farrell and looks down on him is a guy wearing a crow mask and I'm so sick of criminals wearing animal masks as a trope. I feel like it was just so done to death for like three years there. You had like your next, you had Hotline Miami, you had, yep. there was that like coming of age crime movie that I think A24 did around that same time. It, it's such a weird, weird contrivance, but I am, I never want to see another person with a gun wearing an animal mask ever again and i for me for every complaint i'd had up until that point every god why am i still watching this thought i had it was the straw that broke the camel's back and by comparison to everything else i'd seen pretty harmless yeah no, that's actually I surprising because i couldn't like, take th- it that's the first time that anything happens in season two is like nothing happens for two episodes and then colin farrell gets shot and i, was I like, when like colin, I remember... colin farrell beat up that kid's dad that was kind of oh fun. that was the stupid <laughs> it was really dumb but it was kind of <laughs> awesome i'll give it that 
oh man that was it's a really dumb scene and like the the line that colin farrell has at the end of that scene which we cannot repeat on on radio (laughs) oh it's it's so dumb um but yeah so i guess yeah season two is really terrible um but uh but the end of season two like there's this sort of you know like thinking about like positive endings and thinking about kind of like this idea of like you know the new which comes later like you know season two ends that does that very badly season one you know i think like the way it tries to do that lands for you doesn't land for me uh season three ends on a very similar note but i think it works really well it's in a really bittersweet way in that you see it's mahershala ali spends it's he's finally reconnected with his daughter with his family even though his brain is half gone at this point with his old partner played by um steven dorp who's great by the way i didn't really mention much about steven dorp amazing he's fantastic on that show um he sort of comes back with everyone who you know shaped his life um sans his wife who has who has previously died um and you have this sort of one final moment where he is at peace with all the people who matter to him um, sitting on his porch, looking out at the sunrise or just, you know, bright sunny day. And it's, again, I, I saw it was the final couple minutes. So I was like, okay, yeah, here's, here's about where we, here's about where we wrap things up. Here's where we get our happy ending. What's going to go down. And then it zooms in on Mahershala Ali's eye as he kind of has this look of shock on his face and you go into his eye and it takes you back to the early eighties um, after he and his then girlfriend before she, before they got married um, get back together after a, a breakup that is rooted in the case, a breakup that stems from the fact that they shouldn't be together because they're only drawn together by dead kids. Um, but, uh, but you see their sort of rekindling of the relationship and then you sort of get one more scene from the 90s. Uh, and then you finally see him, because he's also a Vietnam vet on the show, you see him walking through the jungles of Vietnam and that's where it ends. And so it is, maybe you could argue it's slightly ham-fisted, uh, but I think it's kind of a classy way so, to depict a life flashing before someone's eyes. And I also think it works really well with the the scene that has to do with the mystery that comes right before it, which is basically, and I'm going to spoil the end of season three here, listeners, where the there's like one kidnapped girl that you know like finding her like takes up much of the much of the show at the end of the at the very end of season three like right before all the scenes that Paxton just described um there the possibility arises that she is actually alive and is an adult and is like a perfectly normal life um uh, Mahershala Ali like tracks down her her possibly her address gets to her house and then like basically has a an episode of dementia and no longer can remember what he is doing where you know and where he is and then he like needs to like figure out where he is uh so he can like tell his son and then so he goes out and speaks to the woman that might be this kidnapped girl and there's this kind of there's this moment in that scene where like where he 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 has received a glass of water from uh, the woman, and like you can see like a change in his eyes, where you know it, it seems like maybe he remembers where he is, but doesn't want to mention it because you know what if it's not her? And it's this really wonderful 
like tragic but also really wonderful ambiguous moment and i think what if it's not her but also what's the point in telling her if it is because her whole family is now dead there's no one who needs her anymore she has a new family she's living in a home with a daughter um and she's you know very uh, she's very uh devout with her faith and she seems to be leaving a pretty peaceful life and so there's also this thought that isn't explicitly said but at least my takeaway was a what if it isn't her and b if it is why bother why complicate things for her live and let live you know yeah yeah it's like it's this wonderful possibility that like life could be okay after this like this you know fundamental traumatic event but it only gets to be a possibility yeah yeah um yeah this is a great show this is a great show i i mean we we really have to go here but um uh yeah my my biggest takeaway was everything i heard was right season one is some of the best television ever made season two does not need to be talked about season two certainly exists and season three is a really strong really admirable follow-up to season one that doesn't necessarily make the kind of impact season one made but still is very great television in in its own respect and what what more could you ask for who knows season four apparently is now in development which is nice um we'll see what comes of that who knows they better not set it during covid um I don't want to see any COVID stories and I wouldn't necessarily put it past Nick Pizzolatto to do it. Um, Neither would I. I do not trust him (laughs) to do that at all. He's going to need to be reined in, that guy. Um, All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you for tuning into this very special, special would imply nice. I, I, I guess it depends on who you ask, but the half hour episode might not be to everyone's taste. Doesn't matter. Our, our very special half hour episode of socially distanced we will be back with our uh our regular programming i I would assume next week uh for now enjoy a track list of some of true detective's greatest hits we got the theme songs and whatnot that's all i have to say i'm doing a weird hand gesture on my end of the screen you can't see it but justin can and it's weird and i'm gonna keep doing it goodbye everyone goodbye everybody